Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Steve Zazulik peered through the trees at his partner Ryan Fazekas. Ryan's head was bent low, his eyes trained on the metal detector in front of him, waiting for a sign they were in the right place. Steve urged Ryan to focus on the aging trees. They wanted to hone in on anything that seemed like it had been there for at least 90 years. The older the object looked, the more likely it was around when Dutch Schultz buried his treasure. Steve turned back to his own machine and listened intently to its methodical beeping. As he swept the area in front of him, the beeping became fast. He stopped dead in his tracks, knelt down to the soil, and started to dig. After a few moments, Steve's hand brushed against something. It was smooth and cool to the touch. His heart beat through his chest as he laid his eyes on the object that would change his life forever. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on Dutch Schultz's Lost Treasure. Legend has it the mobster hid his multi-million dollar fortune just before his 1935 murder. It's been missing ever since. Last time, we took an in-depth look at the notorious gangster's life. We talked about his road to riches and the story of his death. Today, we'll evaluate his supposed treasure and meet people who have dedicated their lives to tracking it down. Plus, we'll take a look at a recent discovery that may illuminate a new angle of the mystery. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On October 24th, 1935, 
Dutch Schultz died after being shot by a rusty bullet. His killers had been hired by the Commission, the governing body of the American Mafia. Although Schultz had been a well-respected crime boss, his plan to take out federal prosecutor Thomas Dewey was risky. Even by Mafia standards, assassinating a high-profile attorney was bound to bring unwanted attention to the organization. So, the commission took matters into their own hands and got rid of Schultz before he could act. They might have had another motivation for killing him, though. Between the illegal Harlem numbers racket and the extortion of restaurant unions, Schultz was making millions. The commission had their eye on his bulging wallet. But when they tried to take over his businesses, it seemed Schultz was broke. Or perhaps he'd hidden his wealth away somewhere. Rumors had been swirling that when Dewey went after Schultz for tax evasion in the 1930s, the fast-thinking mafioso took precautions. He and his bodyguard, Lulu Rosencrantz, were said to have buried between five and nine million dollars worth of cash, gold, and jewels. If he was convicted, he wanted to be able to fund his escape. Or, if that didn't pan out as expected, at least his fortune would be safe from the government's clutches. He figured they couldn't seize the taxes he owed if they couldn't find the money. But Schultz never got the chance to execute any of his plans. Just a few months later, he and Rosencrantz were murdered. Any information about the hidden treasure died with them. Unless someone else knew about the stash. Last episode, we introduced Dixie Davis, Schultz's lawyer, business partner, and personal advisor. He helped Schultz break into the Harlem numbers racket. He was intimately familiar with the mobster's many businesses and helped him figure out which politicians to support. He knew they needed officials who'd be friendly to Schultz's way of operating. But Davis and Schultz's relationship extended beyond work. Schultz even gave his daughter the middle name Davis in his friend's honor. One story in particular shows just how deep their trust ran. While Schultz stood trial for tax evasion, with Davis as one of his lawyers, of course, he began to suspect one of his associates was stealing from him. To test his suspicions, Schultz ordered the associate, Jules Martin, to bring him some money. He asked Davis to escort him. When Martin arrived at Schultz's, the beer baron confronted him about the alleged theft. Martin sat in front of the mob boss and denied any wrongdoing, but Schultz refused to take no for an answer. He pushed his subordinate until he confessed to making off with $20,000, less than half of what Schultz believed he actually took. Certain there was more to the story, Schultz fumed. As Davis looked on from the sidelines, his boss shoved a gun in Martin's mouth and fired. Clearly, Schultz had no qualms about killing a man in front of Davis. It seems only natural he'd also confide in him about what he'd planned to do with his fortune if the trial went south. And according to private investigator Bruce Alterman, that's exactly what happened. The P.I. had always been fascinated by the beer baron of the Bronx and sought any information he could about the mobster. 
He claimed he hit the jackpot when he stumbled upon a series of articles by Dixie Davis published in Colliers in 1939. Four years after Schultz's murder, his lawyer and confidant had published the series titled Things I Couldn't Tell Till Now. Davis wrote that he saw a large metal safe sitting on Schultz's desk sometime in the early 1930s. He asked about it, and Schultz replied, This is where I'm going to keep all my riches. Supposedly, the safe was two feet by three feet and made of steel. If Schultz had let Davis peer inside, he might have seen piles of shimmering diamonds, coins, and thousand-dollar gold certificates from the U.S. Treasury. True crime author and Dutch Schultz chronicler Nate Hendley notes there were allegedly other riches in the trunk that greatly increased its value. At the time of his death, Schultz also owned millions in Liberty Bonds. Liberty Bonds were pieces of paper sold during World War I to help the United States government finance the war. Henley pointed out the bonds were never cashed in, so they're likely still stashed away in the safe. If someone managed to locate the loot, they'd be able to redeem the shares for a boatload of money. This might seem like a far-fetched dream, but it turns out finding hidden cash from the 1930s isn't all that unusual. After the stock market crashed in 1929, some 7,000 financial institutions failed. Millions of citizens lost their savings and, as a result, became wary of banks. With nowhere that felt secure, people resorted to hoarding their gold, cash, and prized possessions themselves. Savvy shopkeepers started to carry secure storage boxes, much like the safe Davis saw in Schultz's office. Wary citizens sought out the safes and used them to hide their valuables in their home or on their property. In 2008, one of these containers was discovered in the Midwest. The Deming family had bought their Wisconsin farm back in 1966. Dan Deming's grandfather described the seller as an eccentric man who'd lived there during the 30s and 40s. Word on the street was he'd stashed money somewhere on the property. Once Dan inherited the farm, he spent years searching for the loot. But it wasn't until he tore down an old shed in 2008 that he struck gold, or in his case, cash. When he demolished the 100-year-old structure, a rusty box toppled out of the debris. Inside were wads of deteriorated one, five, ten, and twenty-dollar bills dating from 1928 to 1934. Dan gave the withered notes to the U.S. Treasury's Bureau of Engraving and Printing. They were able to replace the money for its face value. All told, there were $1,700. Given Dan's discovery, it's possible to believe Dutch Schultz's Depression-era collection is still out there, too. And it would be worth more today than in 1935. A lot more. Coming up... Dutch Schultz's 14-carat fortune. Hi, Parcasters. It's Greg and Vanessa from the series Serial Killers. For the past five years, we've explored hundreds of history's most notorious murderers, giving listeners an intimate look at their sordid origins and heinous crimes. 
If you haven't had a chance to join us before, there's no better time to dive in than right now for our Serial Killers 5th Anniversary Special. It's a four-part examination into the mythology surrounding four fearsome killers. Edmund Kemper, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. Our 5th Anniversary Series uncovers the men behind the mayhem, analyzing what turned them into killers and how their lethal behavior made their stories larger than life. If you've listened to the show before, we hope you enjoy. And if you haven't, this is the perfect series for any avid ParCast fan. Follow Serial Killers to hear our four-part 5th Anniversary Special. Listen now, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. According to Detective Bruce Alderman, Dutch Schultz preferred gold coins above any other form of currency. Apparently, Schultz loved that the coins couldn't be traced, unlike dollar bills. This meant the mobster could pay someone under the radar without it getting back to him. Plus, they could be melted down and molded into various shapes and sizes. Gold is virtually indestructible, too. All it needs is a polish, and it's good as new. Most importantly, gold has increased in value over time. From Schultz's era till now, the metal has appreciated a whopping 5,700%. Considering the amount of gold and other appreciated assets supposedly stored in Schultz's safe, Alterman estimates his $7 million reserve could be worth as much as $150 million today. It's no surprise those searching for fortune and fame are champing at the bit to get at Schultz's lost loot. But before they can set off on their quest, they need to nail down where the treasure might actually be. While Schultz was known as the Beer Baron of the Bronx, he did the majority of his bootlegging in New York's Catskill Mountains. There were fewer prohibition officers stationed outside the Big Apple, and with acres of land at Schultz's disposal, it was easy to keep out of sight. He spent his time upstate mostly in a town called Phoenicia. While there, he regularly stayed at the local hotel, reportedly covering dinner for other patrons to buy goodwill from those around him. By the time 1935 rolled around, he was a fixture in the community. Some hunters believe he referenced this very place while on his deathbed. In the midst of others seemingly incoherent musings during his stay at the hospital, Schultz said, quote, Don't let Satan draw you too fast. There are several landmarks around Phoenicia that allude to Satan, including a large boulder named Devil's Tombstone and a rock outcropping called Devil's Face. It seemed too specific to be a coincidence. Dedicated treasure hunters and adventurers decided Schultz must have been alluding to his hidden safe. But Phoenicia is hardly the kind of place where you'd expect to find an infamous hidden treasure. 
The small hamlet town known to some as the heart of the Catskills has roughly 350 residents. Even so, the half-square-mile area it encompasses can bustle, especially in the summer. Just about a two-hour drive from Manhattan, it offers a refreshing getaway for those looking to escape the hectic city life. Tourists can enjoy beautiful hiking trails and tubing along the Esopus Creek. Regardless, after Schultz's murder, Phoenicia locals started recounting a few different and contradictory accounts of the day Schultz supposedly buried his treasure. The first narrative alleged two men were digging along Esopus Creek that day. Supposedly, they were Schultz and his bodyguard, Lulu Rosencrantz, and they were burying the safe. Another tale told by a local 60 years ago suggests Schultz and Rosencrantz ate lunch at the Phoenicia Hotel. Then they drove to the Devil's Face, the same rock formation Schultz apparently referenced on his deathbed and hid the box. Yet another story focuses on a treasure map Rosencrantz allegedly drew. According to private investigator Bruce Alterman, Rosencrantz handed the sketch to one of Schultz's associates and confidants, a man named Marty Crompier. A few months later, a rival mobster shot him. The attack went down just a few hours after Schultz was murdered at the Palace Chop House in Newark, New Jersey. Police believed the two incidents were connected. They speculated the commission may have wanted to ax anyone loyal to Schultz. Crompier just barely survived the shooting, and rumors swirled that his attacker left the scene with a map in his possession. It hasn't been seen since. However, there's no shortage of other sketches that purport to lead to the safe. One inspired retiree even drafted one while supposedly channeling Schultz's accountant, Otto Berman. The psychic claimed Berman wanted him to find the treasure and give it to charity so he could, quote, rest in peace. And other more grounded seekers aren't discouraged. Every year, hordes of people come to Phoenicia, hopeful they'll be the ones to track down the missing stash. The Phoenicia Library regularly gets visitors stopping in for a map of the area to help them in their quest. One May 2021 Airbnb reviewer wrote, they traveled to the New York town to see where Dutch Schultz supposedly buried his treasure. According to local historian and author John Conway, a campground owner in the area said people knocked on her door all the time, outfitted with shovels and metal detectors. They were in search of the infamous safe and thought her property happened to be the burial site. After years of requests, the owner created an agreement for the seekers to sign. She would get a portion of the money if they found anything. But after one visitor dug up her yard beyond repair, she put a stop to the practice, Conway told the Times Union in Hudson Valley. In many ways, Dutch Schultz's fortune has become a part of the town's identity. Many locals have learned to live with yearly visits from curious tourists whether they believe the treasure truly exists or not. After all, not everyone thinks the search is worthwhile. Take Gary Bennett, who became interested in Dutch Schultz in 2001 and started to research the treasure in depth. In the span of four years, he visited Phoenicia half a dozen times. 
With his extensive knowledge of the area, he created a map of his own. Then he shared it with a group of men who wanted to search for the stash as a bachelor weekend activity. Unlike some other treasure-hunting communities, the people looking for Schultz's safe seem to be surprisingly supportive of one another. So it's not that surprising Bennett would share his findings with the strangers. The bachelor party left New York City armed with rented metal detectors, various digging tools, and Bennett's instructions. With every beep of the detector, they let themselves think they'd uncovered the elusive treasure. While they found rusty bullets, an old can, and a piece of metal cable, there was no lost loot in sight. But Bennett wasn't surprised. His willingness to share the coordinates didn't stem from altruism alone. He believed the treasure had already been found. Supposedly, before he ever heard from the bachelor party, he'd headed straight to the site only to find an empty hole. Next to the opening was a tree with the year 1934 etched into it. To Bennett, this confirmed someone had already been there, and they'd taken the hall for themselves. Bennett isn't the only researcher who thinks Schultz's loot is a lost cause. In 2001, Phoenician native Laura Levine made a documentary about the obsession with Schultz's riches. On screen, Laura declared the people looking for the loot were missing a critical piece of the puzzle. Historic weather conditions. Since 1934, the Phoenicia area has experienced numerous destructive storms. Laura noted she'd even seen full-sized refrigerators floating down the Esopus Creek during severe flooding. She suggested Schultz's safe could have been carried downstream just like this, away from its original hiding place on the banks. But for every person who insists the treasure is long gone, there are dozens of others who disagree. In 2020, PBS aired a documentary feature titled Gangster's Gold. The episode followed three groups as they attempted to track down Schultz's safe. While everyone was enthusiastic about the adventure ahead, one duo stood out above the rest. Treasure hunters Steve Zazulik and Ryan Fasikas are experts in the field. Steve is a scuba diver, ring finder, and an author and public speaker. His partner, Ryan, also specializes in diving and ring retrieval. Over the course of his career, Steve has recovered over 500 rings worth more than a cumulative $500,000 by his estimate. But Schultz's supposed $150 million? That would be the hunt of a lifetime. And Steve and Ryan were ready for the challenge. Coming up, Steve and Ryan think outside of Phoenicia. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now back to the story. Ever since his death in 1935, Dutch Schultz's hidden fortune has inspired everyone from psychics to amateur sleuths to private investigators. The story became so well-known, PBS aired a documentary on it in 2020. In the film called Gangster's Gold, professional treasure hunters Steve Zazulik and Ryan Fazekas embarked on their biggest assignment to date. After some thought, they decided to expand their search for Schultz's riches beyond Phoenicia, New York. As the most commonly accepted location of his treasure, they knew the area had been raked over with a fine-toothed comb. So perhaps everyone else had been mistaken. Schultz's treasure may have still been MIA because it was never in Phoenicia. Maybe the beer baron stashed his loot a lot closer to home. After researching Schultz and his business ventures, the hunters honed in on an abandoned hotel on the outskirts of Yonkers, New York, along the Hudson River. They believe Schultz used the property for his illegal bootlegging operations. But there seemed to be more to the story. Not only had the building burnt down by the time Schultz made it his headquarters, but there was supposedly an underground tunnel that ran below. It seemed like a no-brainer to Steve and Ryan. They secured an old map of the area and determined the hotel's approximate location. Then, armed with their map and two state-of-the-art metal detectors, they headed toward the Riverside Forest. They partnered with geotech specialist Frank Lopergolo, who owned a company that manufactured high-end, ground-penetrating radar equipment, or GPR for short. GPR gadgets are usually used to discover buried tunnels. The pair enlisted Frank to help them scour the area beneath the ruins for any sign of a cave. The underground bunker would have allowed Schultz to access the hotel, and it offered a place to store his alcohol. Steve and Ryan's logic was simple. If Schultz felt comfortable stashing his booze there, he might have felt the same way about his fortune. The trio made their way through the dense woods. They leaped over fallen trees and broken branches, keeping their eyes peeled for any sign of a dilapidated building. Even so, they almost missed it. The old structure, or what was left of it, was so run down and overgrown with brush, it was hard to tell it had ever been a hotel at all. Steve and Ryan were elated. The harder to find, the better. They took in the large rock formations surrounding the perimeter and pinpointed the location where they thought the cave was most likely to be. After scouting the area, they scrambled up the rock wall that separated the forest from the road above. As they climbed, they noticed a small, broken-down shelter sitting at the precipice. It seemed like a guard shack or a gun turret. They figured Schultz's men had stood watch there, on the lookout for any potential intruders. Buoyed by the find, they made their way to Frank's truck, and more importantly, his GPR equipment. 
The GPR device sent thousands of radio waves down into the Earth every few seconds. Then it recorded the waves and how they interacted with the materials underground, creating a 3D image of the world below. The machine was so advanced, they were able to drive on the road above all the rocks and still detect what was underneath. Within minutes, a picture came to life on the screen. They were right. They were standing directly on top of a cave. The details are somewhat unclear, but it seems the device was able to indicate what, if anything, was inside the tunnel. And unfortunately, it appeared there wasn't much. Although Steve and Ryan were disappointed, their trip was, on the whole, a positive. The treasure may not have been there, but they were developing a better understanding of how and where the mobster operated. Inspired by the small victory, they resolved to keep trying to locate the stash. While Steve and Ryan continued their search, private investigator Bruce Alterman continued his own studies. And like Steve and Ryan, his hunt was also featured on PBS's Gangster's Gold documentary. While studying Schultz's associates, Alterman uncovered an unexpected lead, a boxer by the name of Johnny Kid Troy. Reportedly, he sometimes worked as a bodyguard for the mob boss. By the time Alterman identified him, Kid had already passed away. But before his death, he'd told many wild stories about his life as a boxer to his grandson, Tim. Tim invited Alterman to his home to talk about Schultz's possible connection to his grandfather. Previously, he'd flipped through the former boxer's journals and noted references to someone called the Baron. Remember, Dutch Schultz's nickname was the Beer Baron of the Bronx. Tim also had kids' photo albums from the 1930s featuring a picture of Kid in front of a big car, possibly armored. Tim told Alterman his grandfather supposedly drove the bulletproof vehicle when Schultz needed extra protection while getting around the city. The car was captivating, but another seemingly innocuous photo struck Tim and Alterman. It showed Phoenicia's Stony Clove Creek and another vehicle in the distance. There were no iPhones with unlimited iCloud storage when the picture was taken. Each shot was pricey. Tim's grandfather wouldn't have developed it if it didn't have some kind of meaning. Alterman theorized the creek in the foreground could have been the spot where the treasure was buried, not Asopus Creek like so many people believed. Additionally, Schultz's hulking safe was too heavy to be carried by hand. Perhaps that's what the car was for. If they could match the photo to a real-world location, it might reveal the treasure's exact whereabouts. Alterman was an investigator. He could track down an object, but he wasn't as experienced with retrieving lost or missing items. So he called in the experts. He asked Steve and Ryan to work with him. The men didn't need much convincing. They'd been having trouble coming up with a new lead after their failed hotel mission, and Alterman's theory seemed promising. Steve and Ryan traveled to Phoenicia and asked around until they found a local willing to show them to Stony Clove Creek. The man led them to a forest road. He told them the route was rumored to have been used for bootlegging during Schultz's reign. 
It was closed off in the late 1920s or early 30s to discourage the practice. Now, it was completely covered in weeds and brush. He assured them if they continued down the path, it would lead them to the creek. Steve and Ryan said goodbye to their new acquaintance, got out their metal detectors, and began their hunt. Sure enough, as they continued further into the woods, they came upon a creek bed. With the photo in their minds, they moved over the shoreline slowly and with purpose. Steve wanted to zero in on the natural features that would have been there over 90 years ago, during Schultz's time. He advised Ryan to do the same and focus on the beds of older-looking trees. Meanwhile, Steve ambled up a steep hill that overlooked the water. The slope was sharp, like erosion had washed the soil away over the years. Two trees stood at the brink, the area around them covered in moss and faded with age. As he brought his metal detector back and forth near their roots, the machine emitted a slew of incessant beeps. Ryan ran over as soon as he heard the signal. He watched as Steve dropped to his knees, took out his shovel, and started to dig. Steve grumbled to himself as he shoveled dirt out of the way, certain the alert was nothing more than an old piece of scrap metal or a tin can. Meanwhile, Ryan swept the metal detector back and forth over the dig site, peering over Steve's shoulder. Just then, a flash of something glinted under his hand. Steve's heart started to race and blood rushed to his head. He jumped up and screamed with excitement. Ryan bent down to take a look for himself. Under a foot of dirt lay a gold coin from 1903. The PBS documentary ends with a pair finding that one coin. However, they found an identical one soon after. They were known as Liberty Head Gold Eagles and were used as $10 coins during the Prohibition era. Today, their estimated value is almost $950 each. The film aired in November 2020, months into the coronavirus pandemic. Due to travel restrictions, Steve and Ryan had to put their search on hold. But like always, they weren't discouraged. As of this recording, the treasure hunters believe they're within 100 yards of the fortune, just about a football field away. They think the safe was likely buried so close to the river, it popped open from the force of the water. The contents were likely swept downstream, either by a flood or natural erosion. But no matter how far the treasure might have traveled since 1935, Steve and Ryan are determined to recover each and every piece. That is, unless someone else beats them to it. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with a new episode. For more information on Dutch Schultz and his missing treasure, amongst the many sources we used, we found the PBS documentary Gangster's Gold extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember... Never take we don't know for an answer.
Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Haley Ross, edited by Natalie Pertsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Thank you.